right. Well, welcome to Curiouser, the podcast where we talk to Iowa's most interesting people. I'm your host, John Gilbertson, and today we are speaking with Sally Dix, the executive director of Bravo Greater Des Moines, a very cool organization, which actually I do not know that much about. Um, So I guess that's my first question. What is Bravo? Yeah, that's such a good question because we find that we're a pretty well-known but pretty poorly understood organization, and that's on us. We don't do a real good job of telling our story. Bravo effectively serves as the region's arts council. We take funds that are invested in us. We're a private not-for-profit, but we take the funds that are invested in us, and we then reinvest in the arts, culture, and heritage landscape across Greater Des Moines. That's a real simple explanation. There's a lot of nuance underneath that. Yeah, for sure. Um, is it a unique organization? Like, you know, are there sister organizations? Are there other states that do this kind of a thing? Yeah. So as a regional arts council, there are regional arts councils all over the country. Local arts agencies, another comparison that you could make to Bravo. And there are hundreds across the country. There are, um, several in the state of Iowa, but we are the only one in the greater Des Moines region. There's also some, um, difference between, how these organizations are run. We always say if you know one local arts agency, you know one local arts agency. How they're funded might be different, what their programs that they offer might be different, how they're staffed, how their boards are put together. So there's a lot of of similarity, but also some differences, some unique things to the way Bravo works. Sure. That's cool. So so you're not affiliated with the state government at all, is that right? We're not. We're a totally separate 501c nonprofit organization. We are, where sometimes maybe people get confused, is we are fully funded with public funds. Uh We are not funded at all with state dollars. Uh Our public funding comes from 17 local partner governments that invest a portion of their hotel motel taxes in us. So even though we are primarily publicly funded, we're totally separate from the state. And once those dollars are invested in Bravo, we're a private not-for-profit and we make our decisions based on what's best to serve our mission uh, in response, obviously, to our to our donors and their needs as well. Cool. That's really fascinating. I mean, how did that even come about? Like, what was the impetus for that? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, and not a very sexy answer I'm about to give you, uh, actually. Well, well, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 2003, 2002, 2003, some really visionary community leaders, um, including Steve Zumba and Connie Weimer and Suku Radia and Johnny Danos, came together in recognition that Des Moines needed to make its mark somehow because we don't have oceans and we don't have mountains and we don't have professional sports, but we have an incredibly important economy and we have great people and tremendous amenities and assets. How can we grow our city in thoughtful, sure. thoughtful, long-term ways? Yeah. And what they came up with was quality of life and recognizing that arts, culture, and heritage were significant drivers of quality of life in our region. And so they doubled down and they said, it's really important for the future of Greater Des Moines that we invest in these. And and not only that we recognize their importance, but that we create a dedicated revenue stream. 
Sure. So at that time, many of the large organizations that Bravo still supports, uh, Des Moines Performing Arts, the Science Center of Iowa, Blank Park Zoo, Living History Farms, the ones that many um, anchor institutions that many people are familiar with, sure. they were all individually going to request hotel motel tax dollars from the cities as uh, the region oh, interesting. was growing. Uh-huh. And they thought, these, these visionary leaders thought, well, what if we created a single entity? What if we created a single place where all of the cities could invest in arts, culture, and heritage? It minimizes the administrative burden, both on the grant seekers and the cities making those funding decisions, and creates a consolidated uh, single entity that can leverage those resources in ways that individual governments can't do on their own. So there was a recognition of the value of quality of life. That's really exciting. And then there was an administrative efficiency, which is a little less exciting. But that's what ended up coming, uh, putting Bravo together. That's interesting. I noted that you guys have been in existence for what, about 15 years? Yes. Okay. So I grew up here and I moved out of state in 2005 um, because... In 2005 in Des Moines, there was nothing cool going on. You know, it was it was there were mountains and there were oceans, other places, as you say. And so, you know, I left and I lived on the East Coast for a few years, and then I lived in Nashville for a little bit, and then I lived in Los Angeles for like nine years, I think. And I met my wife there. We ended up coming back here. I went to law school and all that. And the first night back, my parents and I went to Django, the old Django, before they moved. And when we got out of the car. If I had not known we were in Des Moines, I would not have been able to tell you that that's where we were, you know? And that's been kind of a treat coming back and realizing that there's a lot of cool things happening that there weren't back then. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question is, do you think that's a coincidence? You know, 15 years ago, it felt a little bit barren, artistically speaking. And now, like, precisely 15 years after Bravo started, it sort of feels like the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it is... Um, Not just a perception that you're having. So Bravo, um, the first year that we made grants was 2006, actually. And in 2006, we we were um, granting funds to 33 cultural organizations across Greater Des Moines. Last year, we granted funds to 74 cultural organizations across Greater Des Moines. So over that 15 years, the number of cultural organizations in our community has doubled. So wow. that's yeah. a that's a legitimate feeling that you have. Oh yeah, for sure. We certainly, by no stretch of the imagination, could Bravo take credit for all of that. But I do think the intentionality of setting aside dedicated public funding for arts and culture, and our funding stream is relatively stable, twenty twenty excluded. Yeah, <laughs> our funding stream has been relatively stable and growing. So it's a machine that feeds itself. The more arts and culture there is in Greater Des Moines, the more people come to Greater Des Moines and stay in our hotels and motels and eat in our restaurants and participate in our programming. The more people that stay in the hotels and motels, the more revenue is generated for Bravo, the more we can then invest in the organizations that were that are leveraging those those visitors. So it's a sure. really brilliant model because when it's working, it it's self-perpetuating. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about talent retention because mm-hmm. um, that's historically been a, an issue for places like Des Moines. And whenever I talk about it with somebody, the conversation usually devolves into this sort of chicken and the egg debate of like, you know, do we need to focus on attracting more business and financial investment first and hope that a thriving arts and cultural sector will naturally follow? 
or do we need to devote existing resources to our quality of life appeal, like you mentioned, first, and you know, hope that businesses will move or stay here as a result, kind of like an Austin, Texas situation? I think it's both and. I don't think it's either or. I think yeah, it's I both and. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I think that a strong business community can't exist without strong quality of life. Um, sure. I just, I don't, people work a lot. Uh, people work. I, the latest statistics from the business record was people are working on average 50 hours a week. That's a lot, Yeah. Yeah. but there's still a lot of time in the week that you need to fill. (laughs) And so the quality of life and the amenities that are offered are arts and cultural amenities, certainly other tourism, the restaurants, um, for-profit venues, there's, there's lots to do. And the more there is to do, the more people want to want to be here and move their companies here. I think it's a huge factor for talent attraction for sure. And to your point, getting people to stay here. You know, one of the things we, we train a lot of people, we have some amazing universities in Iowa, um, certainly Drake and Des Moines. Yeah. Um, we don't want to lose those those people. We don't want them to grow up here and be invested in here and, and then leave town. So the more we yeah, have, I think, sure. again, it's a, it can be a self-perpetuating cycle. For sure. It's, it, it's very interesting and I've enjoyed kind of learning about it. And so I, I understand you were involved with CUB, Caleb Stevens, uh, he, he did that recent installation called the Dream Cube, mm-hmm. and you were involved with that. Um, like in what capacity? What, what did you do on that? Yep. So this is a little bit again of the the nuance of Bravo. We are um, the thing that we are fairly well known for is our grant making function. So the vast vast majority of funds that come into Bravo are reinvested through strategic grants. That's what I'm talking about when I say we invested last year in 74 organizations. We have several grant programs and uh, it's a competitive process. And last year we were able through our grants to invest a little bit more than $5 million in the arts and culture sector just in greater Des Moines. So it's pretty substantial. Yeah. What we have found over the years though, the, the last few in particular, is that there are certain opportunities for leveraging the cultural sector that cannot be accomplished through a single grant to a single organization. There are issues and uh, regional priorities and, and opportunities that can only be connected with arts and culture but it requires a different tool than a grant. Uh So we have recently created uh, what we call community impact investing. And the project, the DreamCube project with Cub was one of those. I was very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to work with great other um, grant makers and other funders in Greater Des Moines. And one of those other funders, a leadership visionary organization, is the Mid-Iowa Health Foundation. And we came together and thought, how could we leverage arts and culture to amplify the conversation that's already happening in our community around youth homelessness? There's a lot of incredible partner organizations that are doing really meaningful work, including federal grants um, that that only 30 cities across the country received, and Des Moines is one of them. There's incredible work already Uh happening to address youth homelessness, but people just don't know. Yeah. So what arts and culture does is it brings visibility to issues that that might not otherwise rise to the surface, and particularly right. not in such a positive way. 
So sure. with Mid-Iowa Health Foundation, we convened several other partners and hired an artist. Uh, we were led by a, a consulting group, Group Creative Services, and they helped us pull this whole project together, and it was the Dream Cube. Uh, and for people yeah. that haven't seen it, it was an eight-foot square of pillows. And I know that <laughs> sounds kind of strange, but it was so impactful. And the message, of course, is that if young people don't have a safe place to rest their heads at night and dream, then how can they reach their full potential? And it was a sure. really beautiful expression. Cub was amazing working with young people to make sure that youth voice, young people facing homelessness or who have faced homelessness, to make sure that youth voice directed the project. This was not anyone telling those young people what needed to be meaningful to them. It was yeah. all directed by their experience and was so authentic and engaging to tell their story. It was really one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. Wow. That's incredible. Well, Cub had mentioned that it got such a reaction that they gave away like half of their pillows. Like by the third day, it, he said it was like a fort, you know, it wasn't even really, you know, the structure that it was, which I thought was amazing. And it just blew me away. Yeah, I think so often. Um, so we would call that public art. And so often there is a thought that that public art is a thing in a place, that it's static. Mm -hmm. And this was not that. This was very yeah. um, dynamic. And not only was it dynamic in that it was at three different locations in uh, Greater Des Moines in October, but also that the sculpture itself evolved over the, the three days. And yes, the young yeah. people did give away the pillows to other young people that came up and were facing homelessness or other people in the homeless community or really anybody who wanted a, a pillow. What a, what an interesting, tangible way to be part of this experience. Um, sure. And it did. It evolved and it changed. And I think people learned not only about youth homelessness, but hopefully also learned about what what is art because it's different, yeah. I think, sometimes than what people might think. Yeah. And there's no right answer. We just hope that it inspired the conversation. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I, I went and saw it, actually. Uh, they When they were in Coles Commons, that's right outside our office. And so I was able to go and check it out. And I think it's so cool that, like I said, there's this community organization that was totally independent from, you know, the state or any sort of governing body. And it's just, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask you... Um, Looking at your website and kind of just talking right now, there you kind of make a differentiation between grant making and what you do, and you kind of you kind of mentioned it, but I would love if you expanded on that a little bit. Like, what's the? Because grant making sounds pretty great, but I, I but I think you're wanting to take it a step further. Yeah, grant making is pretty great. I think the differentiation that we're trying to make there is um, we don't just sit around and, and roll, you know, roll the piles of money and you get a grant and you get a grant. <laughs> yeah. We really try to be strategic about our investing and we like to think about it. Um, we're starting to change some of our language. It's, it's not an award, it's an investment. And as stewards of public funds, again, we are a private not-for-profit, but 99.9% .9 of our money is public money. It comes from cities. Yeah. So we have a tremendous obligation uh, to be good stewards. And, and sure. so we, we think of it as strategic investing. And also the fact that we're awarding $5 million or we're awarding $5 million 
through these grants is impressive and powerful. And we have to use that opportunity thoughtfully. We have to leverage that opportunity thoughtfully. Sure. Um, And we also have to be able to show results. So when I say grant making, I think it's more, again, that like sort of traditional thought of, of grant making. That's certainly the core of what we do, but we're trying to add layers of of strategy and, um, and thoughtfulness that, will continue uh, continue <laughs> to not only drive the results we want to see, but also continue to keep our donors and supporters confident in the role that we play. Right. Absolutely. So tell me about, like, like what does the pipeline look like at Bravo? Like, how does a project get started and how does it develop? Yeah. So we don't really have a defined path. When you talk about the pipeline, you're, you're, I think you're asking me not about the grant-making pipeline, how organizations get into our funding pool, but no. more about the project pipeline, things like the Dream Cube. How Absolutely. do we make decisions about that? Sure. So this is new. And <laughs> we're still figuring out what the criteria, specific criteria are. Um, so this is a little bit of the Dream Cube was a pilot project. We've done some other pilot projects, uh, funded some other pilot projects through this community impact work. And, um, you know, kind of, some of the generalities that we're looking for is it it can't be an organization that's eligible for funding through our grant cycle. Okay. Yeah. Um, because if you can get funding over here, then you can't, you shouldn't also be getting funding over here. <laughs> sure. We're looking to expand our portfolio. That's why. Sure. Um, we're looking for projects that are regional and collaborative and that advance our sort of core priorities which are founded in a document called the Regional Cultural Assessment, another thing most people don't know about. <laughs> but um, these, are, these are four priorities that most directly align arts and culture to the region's goals and objectives. Okay. And so we're seeking projects that, that bring those things together and partners that, that bring those, those works to life what are in those, visible ways. What are those four pillars? Mm-hmm. So the Regional Cultural Assessment has four priorities. One is everyday, everywhere art. The concept being that more art in more places for more people to experience without having to buy a ticket or put it on their calendar is what's going to actually make our town really, really cool and vibrant. Absolutely. So everyday, everywhere art. Um, strengthening the creative economy. We did an extensive amount of work to build these four priorities. And one of the things that we found was that our individual artists and our creative entrepreneurs are not feeling connected to the resources and amenities that that Greater Des Moines offers for the entrepreneurial environment. Sure. They don't have the training. They don't have the resources. They don't have the networks. And strengthening that creative economy is essential to our ability to survive and, and stay on the cutting edge, which I think Des Moines is and wants to be. Sure. The third one is cultural tapestry. We know that not everyone that lives in greater Des Moines sees themselves in the arts and cultural programs that are offered right now. And so we need to continue to strengthen the fabric and weave together all of the different cultures and heritage from all of the people who live in our community to make sure that everyone feels represented and seen. Sure. And then the third one, fourth one rather, is youth connections. Um, the more access to more art, formal and informal, that young people have as young people, um, the more likely they are to be better humans as adults. 
And also there is direct data that shows the more access to arts and culture that young people have as young people, the more likely they are to stay home. And this is another way we can keep talent uh, from from leaving town. So this this is all data founded. Like I said, it was a year long process, but sure. those are the four priorities that that Bravo is founded. Um, our mission is to advance those priorities, and so the projects that we're seeking for community impact are usually directly aligned to those. Sure. Where would you like to see Des Moines five to ten years down the road in terms of arts funding generally, and what do you think are the mechanisms that will get us there? It's a weird time to be answering that question. Yeah, sure. So um, in bold brush strokes, one of the keys to success in our region is the same for arts and culture as it is for almost everything else, which is that it is always a public-private partnership. And so maintaining support for Bravo as public funding for the arts, as a piece of public funding for the arts, is critical. Um, the corporate philanthropy that we have is incredibly important and makes up a much bigger portion of arts and culture budgets than Bravo ever could. Yeah. Yeah. Maintaining depth of understanding of those corporate partners so that they see how arts and culture drives every single priority they are interested in is going to be really important. Sure. Uh, it's going to be it's going to continue to be competitive for available funds. Yeah. So we need to make sure that arts and culture stay top of mind and do not become a choice of basic needs or arts and culture. Sure. Health and human services or arts and culture. It always has to be an and. So yeah, we need sure. to continue to do that and make that case with our corporate partners. And then individual philanthropy is, of course, a, a critical piece of it. And sure. we'd love to see more of our community participate and attend. And it, it doesn't have to be a donation. Buy a ticket. Go. Explore. Yeah, I find sure. that most of the time when I'm talking to people about, about Bravo, they're so surprised that we have 70-plus cultural organizations. Even, I didn't know that. <laughs> even the, even the, the, the most arts consumer um, people have probably could probably name 20. Get out. Go yep. find something. Go do yeah. something. And yeah. um, so I, I think those are the things that we'd like to see either start or, or continue as we go. Okay. How do you see the Des Moines arts and culture scene coming out of COVID and resuming the growth that we were seeing prior to 2020? Yeah. So I think there's definitely an opportunity in our community to um, – create a centralized location for people to find out what's going on. There are lots of community calendars and and lots of commitment to arts and culture, but I, I don't know that we have a single established place, a website publication where people can go to find out all the things that are happening with respect to arts and culture. Sure. I think that's going to be an important part of coming out of COVID is making it easy for people to find what is happening. Sure. Certainly, um, it's sad to say there, there are a lot of shows and events and exhibits that didn't happen uh, this, this year. Yeah. But there are so many things that did or that happened in a new and different way that there's a, there's a lot to be proud of. And the resilient, I mean, we get to work with the creative sector. So obviously there was a huge amount of creativity <laughs> that, that yeah. came out of this experience. Right. So I think that, um, I, I think that 
that is an opportunity uh, as we look at as we look at our role or potentially there's someone else better suited to do that. Bravo likes to look at what we are uniquely positioned to do. And if we are not the only one who can do it, then we we try to work with other partners to help to help them do it. Sure. Um, and like I said, there are some great calendars and some great resources already out there. So we don't want to be duplicative. But that's one thing. Um, we don't Bravo doesn't run programs. We support organizations that run programs. Right. And and so that's where um, we're still kind of finding our space and our role moving forward. How do we help the cultural sector come out of this? Well, I think we keep doing what we're doing, which is invest as many dollars sure. as we can and draw as much attention as we can to the role that arts and culture play. So I, I don't see us getting too distracted um, <laughs> moving into 2021. Right. But how we do that is sure going to look different. Sure. So like if somebody like me or an average person wanted to get involved with some of the programs that you support or wants to just learn more about it, what can they do? Well, the best thing to do is um, go to our website and look at the list of organizations that we're currently supporting. All of the organizations that are receiving funding from Bravo have a link to their website from our website. Cool. And so it's a great place to start if you're interested in music. Then find all the organizations that have music in the name. And um, if you're not sure what you're interested in, find an organization you've never heard of before and click on that link. If you love theater, if you love orchestra, if you love choir, core. I mean, there's really such a diversity of, of things that we're supporting right now. That's what I would suggest. And then we really appreciate people reaching out and volunteering and donating specifically to those organizations. Sure. Bravo is fortunate that we have a dedicated revenue stream and our hotel motel tax funds are, are going to come to us. So individuals looking to make a donation certainly could donate to Bravo, and we would make uh, make those investments, leverage those investments, just like we do with the public funds. Yeah. But we actually prefer that individuals make donations directly to the organizations that they want to support and the things that are important to them. We don't ever want to compete with the organizations we were formed to support. Sure. Makes sense. So, you know, moving forward, I mean... Is there anything interesting in the in the pipeline right now that you're excited about and or you know were excited about that maybe you know postponed or something? Yeah, so those are two questions. Anything interesting <laughs> in the pipeline, uh, anything in the pipeline and anything interesting in the pipeline. Right now, Bravo is facing a 50% reduction in our budget based on how we earn our, our revenue. Sure. We are, as I said, 99% funded with hotel motel tax dollars. Not a lot of people staying in hotels over the last nine months. Yep. We don't know how long that's going to last, but we still have a job to do and we still have to invest the funds that we have. So we're getting creative on how we do that strategically, how we can help as many of the partners uh, in the, in the Bravo portfolio, how we can help as much as we can with the available funds right now. That's our top priority. Yeah, sure. We've taken a little bit of a step back on the community impact so that we can get our grant programs up and running. You know, all of this work that I'm talking about is done by a staff of two. It's me and one other person. (laughs) So um, human resources are a little bit of a rate limiting factor for us right now. (laughs) Uh, And and I think once we get these grant programs up for 2021, then we'll be able to um, 
relook at our our other other paths to make an impact forward. Yeah. Wow. What are your favorite arts events and cultural institutions oh, yeah. in Iowa? That's, why don't you ask me which one of my sons I love more? Um, well, so, everybody's got a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> there are um, there are so many amazing arts and cultural experiences. It, you know, I I can tell you as a as a mom what we've enjoyed for our family. Sure. Um, and certainly, you know, we were so fortunate this summer to have the zoo and the science center and living history farms that were open and available for programming. Um, we right. attended the Des Moines Community Playhouse, did drive-in theater so that there was still an opportunity to experience live theater. Yeah. There, like I said, were some really creative. We've done a lot of virtual programming too. Um, yeah. and, and there's so much to choose from. I think really instead of asking what what my favorites are I would I would put that back to say whatever your favorite thing is <laughs> we have it yeah we have it you might not know it but we have it yeah. um and if we don't have it yet it's we're we're getting there <laughs> so I would encourage people yeah. uh, I would encourage people like I said to take a look at that website and and find something that interests you and find some way to engage yeah great man that's a cool job so how did you like? How did you end up there? Like, what's what's your story? Yes, well, I'm. Um, I would love to tell you that it was a direct path, but it was <laughs> it was certainly not. A lot of it was dumb luck. I actually um, grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Okay. And which one? Uh, just north of where Northwestern University is in Evanston. I grew okay. up in Wilmette. Oh, oh yeah, Evanston's Winnetka. awesome. Yep. Right on. So um, some very rare air. I was really fortunate to get to grow up there. Cool. I went to Northwestern University and I studied environmental science uh, okay. because I wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh, wow. Yes. Nice. So at the age of 21, I had an internship in Florida uh, doing a photo identification study of manatees in Sarasota Bay. Wow. Right? That sounds and, awesome. <laughs> and, and then uh, I had an internship at the Shutt Aquarium. And I got to work oh, in the man. oceanarium with the whales and the dolphins and the seals and the, and it was everything I had dreamed it would be, except I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Uh, it was a one, I'm super glad that people do it. The research was a little monotonous for me. And sure. um, there were opportunities I wanted to pursue that I, I didn't see a path forward once you, once you go down that that marine biology path, I didn't see next steps. So sure. Um, so anyway, so I went to graduate school and got a degree from Johns Hopkins in environmental science and policy, a master's degree in environmental oh. science and policy, thinking that I might be a lobbyist. Sure. And then there was a boy and we moved to Iowa and... Um, Man, my wife and you could probably commiserate about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> there was a boy and we moved to Iowa for his job. And... Um, I was still, I'm still passionate about environmental, um, but I, I wasn't as interested in the environmental priorities in Iowa. I was a little bit more of a coastal environmentalist than, uh, than a mid <laughs> gotcha. middle yeah. of the country environmentalist. So sure. I actually, uh, I had a job at an environmental engineering firm. I quit my job at the environmental engineering firm 
and uh, started as a volunteer at the Science Center of Iowa because that was what I knew and that was what I loved. My my passion for marine biology started because of an experience at the Shad Aquarium. I was inspired by a cultural institution to pursue a career. So when I didn't sure. know what my career was going to be, I went back to what I knew, which was a cultural institution. Sure. So I volunteered Absolutely. at the Science Center of Iowa. One thing led to another, and I ended up the vice president of communications through the opening and the launch of the new facility downtown. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. I was very, very fortunate to work with an incredible team, get some great experience. I was there for almost 10 years. I left wow. um, when I had twins and had a couple cool. of jobs in between, uh, in between having my kids and starting at Bravo. But my path was really inspired by a love and respect and admiration and appreciation for the impact that these cultural organizations have. Wow. That's incredible. Are you are you an artist? Do you uh are you musical or artistic in any way? I am really not. There is a reason I pursued science uh, for two <laughs> yeah. degrees. Yep. And uh, I have actually, to my recollection, never taken an art class. I took a literature class in college because I think it was required in order to graduate. Oh, okay. okay. Did you have to write or was it like a just read? It was the works of Toni Morrison. It was a Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating. That's great. But uh, no, nope. I don't bring a lot of personal arts experience to the table, which is great because uh, I, it leaves me open to be curious and have a lot to learn. Well, you know, artists, uh, I have a long background in the music business, and I know many, many very talented people who can get up on stage and deliver the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. But as far as trying to run logistics of you know, get the band together for a rehearsal or, you know, work out a lease for their rehearsal space. Or, you know, I, I think there's a, a huge need for people like you who can stand above everything and make sure the table is set, so to speak. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, an interesting phrase. One of the things that we actually, that I am actually really excited about, um, Bravo doesn't really work directly with individual artists. That's just, it's not that we don't think they're important. It's just, that's not our charter. We support nonprofit arts organizations. Um, But one thing that's really exciting that's coming up in 2021 is there's a a program called Artist Inc. DSM. Okay. And it is a training program specifically for individual artists to hone their practice and learn the business side of what it takes to be a professional artist. That's cool. It's going to be really cool. And you can get information. Um, it's actually being, um, Bravo is a, a funder. It's one of our community impact investments. But the Des Moines Arts Festival is actually running the program. So if there are individual cool. artists listening, uh, applications are due end of January, but you should double check that. But Des Moines Arts Festival website would have some information. And, and if there are individual artists, that's going to be a amazing for 2021 sure well that's great that's that's very exciting um if you're a if you're a marine biologist do you watch planet earth or blue planet or any of those shows? yes absolutely blue planet 2 i specifically got on dvd so that i wouldn't have to like have it buffer mm. and have the have the footage get blurry yeah i was so into it i actually um my boys are 11 now, um, but when they were little, I actually had them believing that I was a mermaid before <laughs> they were born. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to stoke the imagination, right? Totally. Bring the magic where you can. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all I had. 
Thanks so, so much for the opportunity. I, I'm not sure I live up to uh, the moniker of one of Iowa's most interesting people, but I nonsense. sure <laughs> I sure do appreciate the the chance to talk a little bit about Bravo. I'm really proud of what we get to do on behalf of the communities that invest in us, and really, really grateful for the inspiration of the cultural organizations we get to support. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to Curiouser, the podcast where we talk to Iowa's most interesting people, recorded at Waveform Music Studios, located in the Mainframe Studios building in downtown Des Moines. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.